Section 6 of The House Behind the Cedars This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White The House Behind the Cedars by Charles W. Chestnut Section 6 The Queen of Love and Beauty Shortly after luncheon, Rena had a visitor in the person of Mrs. Newberry, a vivacious young widow of the town, who proffered her services to instruct Rena in the etiquette of the annual ball. "'Now, my dear,' said Mrs. Newberry, "'the first thing to do is to get your coronation robe ready. It simply means a gown with a long train. You have a lovely white waist. Get right into my buggy and we'll go downtown to get the cloth. Take it over to Mrs. Marshall's, and have her run you up a skirt this afternoon. Rena placed herself unreservedly in the hands of Mrs. Newberry, who introduced her to the best dressmaker of the town, a woman of much experience in such affairs, who improvised during the afternoon a gown suited to the occasion. Mrs. Marshall had made more than a dozen ball dresses during the preceding month. Being a wise woman, and understanding her business thoroughly, she had made each one of them, so that with a few additional touches it might serve for the queen of love and beauty. This was her first direct order for the specific garment. Trion escorted Rena to the ball which was held in the principal public hall of the town and attended by all the best people. The champion still wore the costume of the morning in place of evening dress, save that long stockings and dancing pumps had taken the place of riding boots. Rena went through the ordeal very creditably. Her shyness was palpable, but it was saved from awkwardness by her native grace and good sense. She made up in modesty what she lacked in aplomb. Her months in school had not eradicated a certain self-consciousness born of her secret. The brain cells never lose the impressions of youth, and Rena's Patesville life was not far enough removed to have lost its distinctiveness of outline. Of the two, the present was more of a dream. The past was the more vivid reality. At school she had learned something from books, and not a little from observation. She had been able to compare herself with other girls, and to see wherein she excelled or fell short of them. With a sincere desire for improvement and a wish to please her brother and do him credit, she had sought to make the most of her opportunities. Building upon a foundation of innate taste and intelligence, she had acquired much of the self-possession which comes from a knowledge of correct standards of deportment. She had, moreover, learned without difficulty, for it suited her disposition, to keep silence when she could not speak to advantage. A certain necessary reticence about the past added strength to a natural reserve. Thus equipped, she held her own very well in the somewhat trying ordeal of the ball, at which the fiction of queenship and the attendant ceremonies which were pretty and graceful made her the most conspicuous figure. Few of those who watched her move with easy grace through the measures of the dance could have guessed how nearly her heart was in her mouth during much of the time. "'You're doing splendidly, my dear,' said Mrs. Newberry, who had constituted herself Rena's chaperone. "'I trust your gracious majesty is pleased with the homage of your devoted subjects,' said Trion, who spent much of his time by her side and kept up the character of knight in his speech and manner. "'Very much,' replied the Queen of Love and Beauty, with a somewhat tired smile. 
It was pleasant, but she would be glad, she thought, when it was all over. "'Keep up your courage,' whispered her brother. "'You are not only queen, but the belle of the ball. I am proud of you. A dozen women here would give a year off the latter end of life to be in your shoes tonight.' Rena felt immensely relieved when the hour arrived at which she could take her departure, which was to be the signal for the breaking up of the ball. She was driven home in Trion's carriage, her brother accompanying them. The night was warm, and the drive homeward under the starlight, in the open carriage, had a soothing effect upon Rena's excited nerves. The calm restfulness of the night, the cool blue depths of the unclouded sky, the solemn croaking of the frogs in a distant swamp, were much more in harmony with her nature than the crowded brilliancy of the ballroom. She closed her eyes, and, leaning back in the carriage, thought of her mother, who she wished might have seen her daughter this night. A momentary pang of homesickness pierced her tender heart, and she furtively wiped away the tears that came into her eyes. "'Good night, fair queen,' exclaimed Trion, breaking into her reverie as the carriage rolled up to the doorstep and let your loyal subject kiss your hand in token of his fealty. May your majesty never abdicate her throne, and may she ever count me her humble servant and devoted knight. And now, sister, said Warwick, when Trion had been driven away, now that the masquerade is over, let us to sleep, and to-morrow take up the serious business of life. Your day has been a glorious success. He put his arm around her and gave her a kiss and a brotherly hug. It is a dream, she murmured sleepily, only a dream. I am Cinderella before the clock has struck. Good night, dear John. Good night, Rowena. End of section six. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.